This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to a very special edition of the BRFCS podcast, one in which our Canadian correspondent, Bill Arthur, interviews a former player who has an awful lot of Lancashire connections. I'm at the TSN studios in Toronto today and I'm here to look, talk to our special guest, Scottish international Stephen Caldwell, who will be familiar to Lancashire football supporters from his time with Burnley and Wigan. After finishing his career with Toronto FC, known as TFC in these parts, He's been working with Canada's leading sports broadcaster, TSN, as an analyst on all their football programmes, and has just finished his Saturday morning stint analysing today's Premier League games. Welcome to the BRFCS podcast, Stephen, and thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bill. I'm really excited to be on. It's uh, a pleasure. How did the show go this morning? It went well, actually. We had two... um well, we had three games actually on our network, but we were focusing on on two. Christian was doing Tottenham against Burnley, and there was the late Christian Eriksen goal, and I was doing uh, Huddersfield against Newcastle, and um, Newcastle won one nil. Salmon Rondon. So, yeah, not the best games today, but we've got a big day tomorrow. We have uh, Liverpool against Manchester United. Uh, being the, the second game, the first game being Southampton Arsenal, so we're very excited about the games ahead tomorrow. Also, yeah, good, a big weekend. Then maybe we could just start. Unusually for a Blackburn podcast, let's start talking a little <laughs> bit about Burnley. From I haven't seen the game this morning, but it, from the sound of it, they were back to their what should we call it? Their their awkward best. <laughs> yeah, they were, and, and we mentioned that when we were watching Christian and I, my colleague Christian Jack, we. Um, we commented on it looked like the Burnley of old because they've not been like that this season. They've conceded a, a great number of goals. I think there's them and Fulham at the, you know, the top of the list for the number of goals conceded in the Premier League yeah. this year. And it's not what we've expected from Burnley under Sean Dice. They've been so yeah. solid and, and difficult yeah. to beat. And today they went back to a five at the back and a four in midfield and just the, the lone striker up top. And it, it seemed to really frustrate Tottenham. Made it really difficult for them to yeah. create opportunities. One of the best sides in the Premier League and. You know, maybe a bit negative, but 
you know, we have to be realistic. It's the only way a Burnley can That's go right. into Wembley yeah. Stadium and, and play yeah. Tottenham and, and come away yeah. with any kind of result. So you understand that, but for me, being you know a lover of the game of football, I, I'd rather see more expansive football. And in the end, uh, Tottenham found a way. And you know, if you love the game, I think you've got to be quite happy when you know when a team defends. If someone finds an answer, yeah. I, I think it's only fair. And, and they did. Uh, it, seems, it seems to happen so often. You know, you get a defend a good defensive yeah. away performance, and then you think you're going to hang on, and then it goes wrong at the last minute. Yeah, because it's so difficult to concentrate for the whole yeah. time, isn't yeah. it? That's yeah. the, the challenge of that kind of performance. Yeah. So, um, what do you think Burnley's chances of avoiding relegation are? I think they'll just avoid it, but I mean, they're going to be in a fight, there's no doubt about that. They've, they've came to a point in their, their Premier League um, existence, and this latest one, where they're getting found out a little bit, they're, they're struggling. They're, yeah. I think they need some reinforcements as well, right. and um, hopefully they get the chance to do that in the summer, yeah. because I'm, I'm a wee bit concerned for them, but I do think they'll just be about okay. Cardiff, I still yeah. think they'll struggle, and I think Huddersfield... Yeah. After seeing them today in a number of times this season, although they were excellent last week at the Emirates, they only yeah. lost one 0 yeah. I think they'll go down. Then I think it's one of Burnley, Southampton. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank now, but you know the th- yeah. three or four yeah, down there. Palace right. will probably yeah. be around a bit. I think West Ham. I think yeah. Palace ultimately have a bit too much. Yeah. The teams with that quality or the one or two players with extreme quality. Yeah. Usually, just drag away near the end. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, I was seeing comments, albeit from a minority of Burnley fans, saying, "You know, Dyche is taking as far as he can go." Wow. I mean, it seems a bit extreme that after all he's done. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't see any reason they should ditch him. Can you? No, I don't think they should ditch him. I like the way they play. I, I've been very vocal in saying that I think that you have to understand um, the football club, the area, I'm big on that, the, the culture of, the history of the club, and I think that Sean Dyche is a perfect guy to be manager of Burnley Football yeah. Club. I don't think anybody's ever going to come into Burnley and start playing expansive yeah. swashbuckling yeah. football yeah. if they expect that. I just don't think it's realistic. I don't think that... I don't no, even think the fans want that no, either. I, th- I you think know. I think realistically, the bottom half of the Premier League. That's you know, yeah, it's been nice to play expansive football, yeah. but you have to be realistic as well. Well, Fulham tried it. Yukanovic yeah. tried it, and, and uh, you know, you look at he he was on his way because yeah. it wasn't working. They're making too many mistakes, conceding too many goals, and under Ranieri, they've been a wee bit more solid. But it, it's such a difficult thing. We see so much top level football these days that you know supporters are spoiled. They, they then want their team to play yeah. in that style. Yeah. It's just unrealistic unless yeah. you have the open checkbook yeah. and you can get the, the, the true right. quality. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about Burnley in uh, due course, but maybe we could uh, start uh, with your where your football career started at, uh, at Newcastle. Yeah. And uh, you joined them at a fairly early age. I did. I joined uh, when I was 16. Uh, you know, I was travelling down there for maybe a year or two before that um, as I signed forms, but I went there full time when I was 16. and. Left my family in Scotland and, and down in the northeast and was, uh, was Gary still with at that time or did that happen? Gary later? was at school, so he was oh, right. he was a Newcastle player, but he was also going to other clubs okay. as well. And the ironic thing is that doing a, a Blackburn podcast that you know I was very close to signing for Blackburn. Were you? Yeah, I went there when I was about thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, and I loved it. There was two main reasons. They were a great club at the time, and they had a fantastic training facility, and, and they had. A manager in Kenny Dalglish, who yes. was my hero, yeah. and a youth development uh, boss, Alan Irvin, right. who uh, you know I've kept in touch with throughout the years, and and they were a huge pull for me, and I was close to signing for Newcastle uh, for Blackburn, sorry, and I always kind of kept going back towards Newcastle, 
and talking with my family, my mum and my dad, the reason that I was going to Blackburn was because of the two guys yes. more than the yeah. kind of club. So right. I decided to go to Newcastle and uh, and I signed and I signed under Kevin Keegan. But when I got there full time in in nineteen ninety seven. Alan and Kenny were there, <laughs> so it was really ironic. I'm, well, that's what I was I'm going to say. I'm glad I made the decision on people, you know. Yeah, I realised that when I was uh, looking into the background here that uh, Kenny was there when, or, yeah. or, or Sir Kenneth, or, yeah. or King Kenny, as we used King, to call that's him at is, yeah. uh, King Kenny was there. Um, yeah. So did you have a lot much involvement with Kenny? I did. Uh, like I say, through that whole process, I knew him really well. Uh, really well. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but, you know, I, I knew him in personal terms where meals together we spent time together and I was just a hero of mine a, a great man an even better man in, in person than what you expect yeah. him to be so he was, your, he was your childhood hero oh yeah I mean I'm a bit younger than I actually remembering how he kind of played yeah. uh, but he played for Celtic and that yeah. was my team and of course he was Scotland's greatest ever player so That's I right. knew of him and I'd seen footage of him and he was he was on a pedestal as he is to most kids in, in Scotland um and so when I got the chance to meet him, I was I was overawed, and he became like a friend, a guy that would pick up the phone to me and, and call me up for time to time, and I just thought that was amazing, and I just loved his personality. Yeah. He's, he's what you see is what you get with yeah. Kenny. Presumably playing a lot of reserve team football at that time, but he was still yeah. he was still involved. Oh and, yeah, he was very involved with yeah. youth yeah. setup. He, he yeah. created some some good little uh, youth players at Newcastle, and he was very involved, and in, you know through the connection with Alan, who was. Right. I think Alan was maybe like player development coach then. He was he was more general coach for everybody at the football club. Okay. Uh, so he did some first team and then he kind of transitioned back towards what, what he was doing at the time. It was more youth development, but very involved and, and, and very keen in developing us as players. Yeah. Is there any one piece of advice you can think that Kenny gave you that stuck with you throughout your career? No, I don't think there was any piece of advice. I think there was more the example of who he was you know and, yeah. and how he was so true to his upbringing and, and, yeah. and his um, his childhood yeah. as such his country yeah. very patriotic yeah. and he was so down to earth and I, that kind of stuck with me you know to see a guy with 102 caps and you know joint record goal scorer for Scotland and European Cup for Liverpool and everything that he was was just like this guy was just mm. like normal like everybody else and yeah. he treated everybody on the merits of yeah. whether a good person or not it was it didn't really yeah care. I think that's an important part I, I seem to recall you know when he was signed, when he was at Blackburn he was signing players what they said one of the things he always looked for was not just the talent of the player but the personality of the player yeah because that was important that they should gel with the team and yeah well you look at the players that he signed at Blackburn in his title winning season you know you had Colin Henry you had Jason Wilcox you had David Batty, Ed Alan Shearer, Tim Sherwood, Chris Sutton, I could go, Tim yeah. Flowers, I could go on and on and on, <laughs> Jeff Kenner. You'll have me crying in a minute. <laughs> Every one of them, though, are outstanding characters. Yeah. You know, very good players, of course, you don't win a title with being amazing players, but yeah. it's it's the character that stands out for me in most of the right. names, and that's because of yeah. Kenny. So Kenny uh, was uh, moved on, and uh, Sir Bobby Robson. Yeah. And he was in charge when you first broke into this first team squad, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, it was. So, uh, yeah, it was. I mean, what can you say about Bobby? No, I'm going to say everybody in football says what a great person he was. Yeah, you get the impression that what came over on the TV and on the radio was the genuine person. Yeah, and uh, there were no airs and graces about him. Yeah, well, it's funny enough. I watched the documentary the other day, the Netflix doc, or the documentary is on Netflix now uh, on Bobby, yeah, more than a manager. And I watched it with my sons. My sons are ten and eleven. I was pretty emotional watching it back because 
you're right. What you see is what you you got with Bobby, and there was no. He was a showman, but he was always a showman. Yeah. You know that was yeah. just his personality. That was the way that he went about things, and the lessons that I still remember that I learned through Bobby are just incredible. And and uh, you know to watch that back and to hear the stories again, and whether he was at Barcelona or he was in Portugal or he was in Holland or he was with England, it was it was the same kind of yeah. values and culture. Yeah. And I, I'm yeah. I'm really quite. Um, obsessed with that because I think that at any football club when I've been successful or when you see success there's these little uh, characteristics and traits that keep coming out and Bobby instilled that in us at, at Newcastle he instilled it as me as a, a professional player and it continues to go through my life and it, it made me quite emotional mm. did I see eye eye with him all the time? absolutely not you know there was times I wanted to play more I was a ambitious young man I wanted to be in the first team and it wasn't going to happen and so um, you know, it was difficult. We weren't mm-hmm. always like best of friends, yeah. but there was a respect there, and, and uh, from um, him to me, and certainly from me to him. And uh, and if uh, you weren't in the first team, would he, would he take you aside and explain why? Or did... yeah, he was so. You know, he was really very open. His door was always there. You right. could you know go in, and I was in there a lot because I wanted to play more, and I wanted to show him that I was committed to yeah. that, and that's my personality. And, and in the end, it just comes down to preference. And I think Bobby loved me as a guy, thought I was a reliable player, but just didn't see me in the best eleven. I think I think they had a fairly strong defence. Oh yeah. At that time, well, we had they? money, didn't we? Yeah. So we we signed Woodgate, who's an awesome player. It was unbelievable, Jonathan yeah. Woodgate. Um, and then we had Bramble, Titus Bramble, and and Andy O'Brien, and myself. And this stand was in the mix, and right. you know you had it was always a five, six, seven million yeah. pound player coming in and putting me back the picking order because I was a young lad, and um, you know I ch- I tried and tried to like break through in that first team, and it just was never really going to happen, and that was you know I no got any you know nothing against Bobby because of that, yeah. but that was just the way that football was. Was that, was that why you moved on eventually? Yeah, it was because of lack of opportunity. Well, I decided at twenty three that I wanted to play every week twenty three, twenty four. Yeah. I'm like enough's enough. I'd played about 30, 40 games yeah. and I wanted to be a regular, I wanted right. to be an important player. I probably could have stayed in Newcastle and been a squad player for yeah, a number want, of years, but, but I wanted to play and yeah, I wanted to be the guy and then yeah. so I found another challenge. Of course, I think whilst you were there, there were some uh, ex-Rovers favourites, Shea Given, Kevin Gallagher, Alan Shearer. Well, yeah, I took three great examples of what it, what it takes to be a brilliant professional. Uh, Shea was a close friend of mine, closer to me in age than the other two guys, of course, and uh, I got him brilliant with Shane, he was a fantastic goalkeeper, and Alan was iconic captain, yeah. a great guy. And was he um, as, was he as driven in training as he was yeah. on the field? Oh yeah, he was very driven. His he, his attention to detail and the quality that he showed day in yeah. day out was remarkable. Uh-huh. His, his finishing drills were just his consistency to hit the same spot, the same right. spot over and over, yeah. was was an unbelievable inspiration. Yeah. And Kevin Gallagher was a brilliant professional. Kevin and I were pretty close because he was Scottish yeah. and. He kind of took me under his wing, and I really appreciated that. And we still sort of keep in touch and frequently. But yeah, a great guy, yeah. great professional. Yeah, he's doing a lot of media work now. Yeah, working with the BBC and with uh, BBC Lancashire. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. 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 no, a brilliant professional. He was fantastic when he came to yeah. Newcastle. He really was when we needed him. He was. Uh, he was just. You knew what you were going to get from Kevin every single game. Personally, in the Premier League era, because I did see a lot of it. Shearer, I think, is the best striker in that era. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. I think Shearer's the best striker in Premier League history and ugh, you've got Henri there and 
I've, I've, I think Spurs have got a guy in Harry Kane who yes. might just surpass him in yeah. goals and in, in, in maybe everybody's yeah. eyes as yeah. the greatest striker. But that remains to be seen. At the moment, it's Alan Shearer for me. His consistency, his quality with Blackburn. That season where Blackburn won the league was just phenomenal. Yeah. Shea and I actually used to speak about that because Shea was a, a young lad at Blackburn there yeah. watching the games. And he said, you know, the, the, the uh, youth team players and the reserve team players would be in the stand. They'd look at each other every week. Like, he's done it again. <laughs> like, they were in awe of this guy who was their colleague, their teammate. And it was I was watching well, from a TV in uh-huh. Scotland, yeah. but it was amazing. I mean, I have to say, I'm not a betting man, and the only time I bet is on Shearer scoring a goal. Yeah. <laughs> it was like he scored the same goal every week. When he got it in his body, he turned and he just whipped it in the top corner. It was yeah. like so consistent. And uh, when I was later, when I was at Newcastle, I got to see why it was that consistent because he practiced every single yeah. day. Because uh, I think before you broke into the Newcastle first team squad, you were selected for Scotland, weren't you? Yeah. You made yeah. a Scottish debut. I uh, did. That was in strange circumstances, wasn't it? It was. I was in Poland and I was supposed to play with the 21s. Uh, under 21s with the game the day before and I got pulled out of the squad because there was a few injuries to the first team under right. Craig Brown so I got to go up to the first team hotel and I was excited and I trained once I think with the guys you know I'm I'm thinking okay it's a great experience yeah. and then I'm on the bench and I'm like oh well this is an even better experience and Craig gives me a shout maybe around the 50 or 55th minute mark come on you're going on couldn't believe it. I went, I went on midfield. <laughs> right. I played there. The good player, I can't remember his name, but he was dominating. And Craig's like, go on and get near. Uh, the big guy, so he's physical. He's, I think that's why I got the nod. Go on and get near <laughs> him and stop him playing. I touched the ball three times, but I stopped him playing. Oh, which well, the main that's thing. the main thing. <laughs> and of course, Gary became a Scottish international yeah. as well. Did you, did you play in the same team together? We did. That must have been quite the experience. It was you. unbelievable. I think we're the, the first and only brothers in about six to five years. Uh, so it was a thing that was coming for quite some time. We played 21s, which was a unique thing, yeah. two brothers playing 21s. And then we waited and waited. There was one game at Easter Road in the summer against Trinidad and Tobago where uh, Gary came off and I went on and we were right. like, oh, we were so <laughs> close to being there at the same time. And then eventually in Moldova it happened and it happened a few times and Probably the highlight of my career to play for my yeah, country alongside country. my brother. It was it was amazing. My brother was an outstanding player for Scotland, uh-huh. and um, and he uh, he had some great moments. Maybe me a bit less, but I'm I'm still very proud that we were on the field together. Do you know the words to Flower of Scotland? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, you want me to sing it? <laughs> no, I think we'll pass on that today, Stephen. In your final season at Newcastle, you went out on loan. Uh, you were at Leeds for a little while and made thirteen appearances for for them. You, and you scored a goal in one of those appearances. Do you, do you remember that goal? Yeah, he would park. I yes. remember that goal very well. It was a header. <laughs> okay, well, the BBC reporter that said said uh, it was from a corner, and it was a short corner to Kelly, and the Irish defender delivered a deep cross to the four post for a completely unmarked Caldwell to head past Friedel. <laughs> Um, well, it's not what I remember. But you lost two one. I was going to uh, say yeah. you probably remember you escaped your marker. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. There was, there was a few guys around the uh, Bullet header in bu- the bottom I was corner. Say a bullet header. Yeah, I don't think that report does it justice. Yeah, it's funny because um, uh, Brad Friedel is is a guy that I, I know through broadcasting in North America. Yeah. He, he worked for Fox for a number of years, and now he's coaching New England Revolution. Yeah. And I scored that goal against Brad, and then I actually scored another one later when Brad was at Aston Villa. Um, and I was playing for Burnley so he was a guy that 
I managed to put the ball past I think more times than anybody else so I kind of remind them of that when I see them yeah. 2004 you moved to Sunderland and as you've just said you know you wanted to get more first time first team uh, time was there any reaction between Newcastle and Sunderland the fans but moving from uh, such close right between such close rivals yeah it was um it was a difficult thing to do but I think that I wanted to move to a big club yeah. uh, I knew that I needed to drop down the championship to play every week probably or um, or that was the opportunity and, and the Leeds loan spell came after I'd signed the pre-contract with Sunderland I tried right. to go there and we couldn't make it work so I went to Leeds on loan which is a great experience and a great club to play for but I always knew I was going to Sunderland at yeah. the end of the, 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 the season right. and Mick was the big reason Mick McCarthy was a big yeah. reason for that I just I wanted to be at a club of that size. They showed real interest in me. I didn't need to move house. I was in the area that I loved. Right. And uh, and Mick was very persuasive. Yeah. And so I signed for Sunderland and I knew I was going to get some flack. But I felt like confident that the Newcastle fans would understand yeah. I needed to play yeah. and the, the effort that I gave for the club. So Mick McCarthy, a, a different kind of manager to what you'd been used to? Uh, yes. Um, I think... Not a lot of difference between Bobby and Mick, but only in terms of generational, you know. Right. Uh, Mick was... Mick's a great, great man-manager as well, and, and a great guy. And um, Mick creates squads with accountability and, and, and teams that, um, that take responsibility and, right. and, and players that are men, really. And that's okay. what I appreciate about Mick. And, and we were that kind of team. And the thing about Mick is he's very passionate... There's loads of confrontation, but it's forgotten about the next day, and right. it's dealt with, and then yeah. move on, and we think about the next game, yeah. and we, we keep moving forward. And that was a great lesson. He's tough on centre halves. He's especially tough on young centre halves, which I was at the time. I appreciate that yeah. now. At the yeah. time, again, we're clashing, we're yeah. arguing, but never any grudge there, yeah. and, and complete respect. Again, he strikes me as a, from what you see on the TV and hear of him, he strikes me as a, that kind of manager again. What you see is what you get again. Yeah. Uh, there's no airs and graces no. about him. And I like that. I like yeah. working for guys like that. Yeah. So I, I I found a guy who was going to teach me how to be a you know, a week in, week out professional. Right. I'd never really been that and I was getting on a bit by then. Twenty three, twenty four, you really should have played more than yeah. forty or fifty yeah. games. So uh, he gave me that chance and I'll forever be grateful. But that first season at Sunderland turned out pretty well, didn't it? It did, yeah. Very good team. Ninety four points, seven points clear of Wigan. And I've put down a note here, April 23rd, 2005. Do you remember that date? Yes, I do. I think that was the game we beat Leicester. Yeah. Another um, header. And you scored, yeah. <laughs> Another header, yeah. Another header. Did, uh, you, did you score any goals with your feet? Were they all I headers? did. I scored a couple. Oh, definitely one. I remember one for Newcastle. Maybe only one. <laughs> so that clinched promotion for you. Yeah. Uh, how did you celebrate that goal? You didn't, you didn't slide on your knees, rip no. your shirt off. We were in a real fight. We started the season slow. We had put a lot of players together. We had some great experience. Marcus Stewart, Gary Breen, Carl Robinson. Mm. Then we had some younger guys like myself. Uh, Stephen Elliott came from Man City. Right. Then we had Liam Lawrence and Dean Whitehead who came from lower leagues, but quality players that went on to have great careers. So it took us a while to gel, and when we gelled, we started to get it going. And we were in a fight with Ipswich and, and Wigan and, and Sunderland up the top. And I think the last 13 games, we won 11 lost one and drew one or something like that right. we were just on a tear we went on yeah. a run it was brilliant and the game you talk about against Leicester we knew the importance Ipswich were at Ellen Road uh, don't know where Wigan were but if Ipswich drew or lost and we won yeah. we were promoted and 
We played horrible. <laughs> we were awful. We were we were lucky. Uh, I think Ben Hannick was in goal that day, but made some the keeper made some great saves, and uh, we hung in the game. And then obviously I got that header to to, to kind of get the victory. Right. We, we we scraped out, and I, I love thinking about that game because it kind of epitomised the way we were our season. We right. were tough, tough team to beat. We yeah. were grinders. We were capable of like rolling the sleeves up and getting mucked yeah. in. And like I say. I, a, a, a changing room of leaders and guys who just demanded more and right. you know a lot of aggression, a lot of confrontation. So um, you, you must have learned a lot from that. that so that much, yeah. yeah, so much. Yeah. Guys like Gary, Gary Bream was yeah. our captain, but yeah. Carl Robinson, Marcus Stewart, the, the names that I mentioned earlier. Just Mick was a big part of that. Ian Evans, yeah. his assistant. Just that was like I was like a sponge then. I just wanted to learn and grow as a as a. Yeah, well, basically, I'm right. mid professional at that point. Okay, now uh, I hate to bring this up, but uh, let's talk about the following season yeah. because that was quite the contrast for you as you went straight back to the championship. Uh, is that one of your worst disappointments in football? I never think back about disappointments, right. and I'll tell you why. Because you you learn in any scenario, and and you learn probably more in defeat and in mm. disappointment and in adversity. And I learned so much about me that season, and so much about mistakes that were made and, and decisions that could have been done better by myself and by everybody else. And so if you have a learning mindset and you, you, you keep to that and you try and analyse it, then then you take that disappointment right. in the next step of your career yeah. and you make sure yeah. you, you see the warning signs, you don't yeah. let it happen again or you try and not let yeah. it happen again. So you, can, you, you were able to park it, so to speak, behind you and concentrate on looking forward to the next season? Well, it was tough and it's... The North East is the best area in the world to play football, um, in my opinion. <laughs> but it's also the worst because when things are going bad, there's nowhere to hide, there's no. nowhere to go. But you had phenomenal support still, didn't you? We I mean, still had great crowds. support, but we had tough times. We, we remember a game at Portsmouth, a fan came on the field and he was angry at Kelvin right. Davies who had made a few mistakes. A fantastic goalkeeper, had a yeah. great career, never worked for him at Sunderland, really, you know. And so there was times like that where there'd be like, you know, 10,000 waiting outside the stadium yeah. and they were very vocal, they're passionate fans. That's why it's a great place to play. So there was tough times and there was times where it took real strength and and basically commitment to get in the ball and to right. be brave. And, and I learned then that that's what it really takes. And, you know, you could tell people about playing in areas like that and, and playing for fans like that, but they don't know what it's like to experience it. And I am very privileged that I experienced that for a club like Sunderland. But of course, halfway through or partway through that season, Mick got the sack. Yeah. And uh, Roy Keane eventually came in. Yeah, Mick got the sack. Uh, Kevin Ball, club legend, took it for a bit. We had some bit of an upturn, but we ultimately couldn't pick up enough points. We were going down pretty yeah. early in that yeah. season because we were so low in points. And then there was a transition to the ownership where you know Niall Quinn came in. Mm. He took the job for a little bit. He was never yeah. wanting to be the coach, no. but he was looking for somebody to find. And, and Mick was that guy. Eh, sorry, Roy was that guy. And. And Roy, uh, Roy came in early in the next season and um, and changed a few things and got some money to spend and you really uh, created a, a brilliant little squad. So again, a new, different type of manager, I imagine? Yeah, I, the only real disappointment in my career, something that I'd like to go back to and, 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 and maybe do things different, or I don't, I don't know if that's even possible, but the only disappointment was Roy Keane for me. Roy Keane was a hero of mine. He's yeah. an outstanding player, a guy that I loved. Basically, from 
Forrest picked him up quite early. I, I just loved him. I loved when he was at right back, central midfield, back in the day where he was box to box. And then when he became the sitting guy and uh, just a hero. And when he and I thought he had some great ideas in the game. I just didn't think he was a good man manager and he well, yeah, could communicate with people. Yeah, I mean, again, that's the impression you get from outside. Yeah. Now, he never really hit the heights of the manager. And a lot of top ex players don't hit the heights yeah. of the manager. Is it because? The players can't come up to the manager's expectations. It's hard for a guy of his standing to kind of accept that he's dealing with players that have maybe a different mentality or different skill set or whatever that is. But when you're a leader of any group, it doesn't matter if it's a football team or if it's a business or whatever it is, it's your job to get the best out of your employees. And I don't think he did that in the early days. I think he found it very frustrating. I think he was still, uh, and I know this from my time retiring, when you retire, it takes a long time to transition your brain from thinking like a football player to whatever else you do. Yeah. And I think he was still in the football player mindset and and sticking to the things that made him a wonderful captain mm-hmm. with that group of players demanding. And, and he was a bit too intense. And right. um, I think that applied to a few different people. He fell out with almost everybody in some form or another. And so did you have any any real set-tos with him? I was never particularly... I'd be more scared of guys that you'd be surprised about. Like, Chris Hewton would scare me ten times more than Roy Oh, Keane. really? Yeah. Uh, Mick is a guy that, yeah. you know, is a proper man, you know. So, you know, there's things where the guys get this reputation. I was never scared of Roy Keane. I always thought he started off really... Um, analysing the game or whatever or, or very tactical I, yeah. I loved his views in the game and then his own mindset took him off on a tangent right. then he started to okay. lose his way and it almost became I don't know if the word's comical because nothing's comical when it's football it's just life and death for us isn't it? but it became like sort of petty and, okay. and silly and, and, and so he lost control and he was learning he was a young manager but I, I just Never really seen it. And then eventually Roy and I started to have a dispute about he felt like I was trying to move away from the club and I just wanted okay. clarity in where I was. Yeah. And with Roy, there was no second chances. So I went for Mick, who was a guy where, you know, not, there was no grudges held. Yeah. It was move on, let's do the best for the team. And Roy held grudges every single day with every single person he had okay. an argument with. So that was, I mean, I think you were suffering some injuries that season as well, weren't you? So, yeah, I picked up so a get, thigh, which yeah. was a bad injury. So, I mean, again, was that... The circumstances, the injury and, and difficulties, if I can call it that, with Roy, that made you want to move on again? Well, I didn't really want to move on. Uh, I wanted to stay and I just wanted some clarity in that. And I thought I got it for Roy because he seemed like he wanted me to be there. And then he changed his mind in a okay. day. And he was like, you know, I want you, you know, you can go and speak to whoever you want. Right. And so I only had six months to go in the contract. So I, you know, went to speak to a few clubs, one of them being Burnley yeah. and Steve Cottrell. And, um, and I, you know, I was a bit... Okay, maybe I stay at Sunderland and show Roy what I'm capable of and, and fight for my place because you know, I wasn't keen on leaving a club right. like Sunderland. I yeah. loved it, I loved the area, I loved the club, and he was making it difficult for me. And I think he said a few things I, right. I wasn't going to play. So yeah. in the end, okay. it was like, okay, it's done. This end of this chapter, I move somewhere else. That's the end of part one. Join us now in part two, where we'll hear more about Stephen's career and some more connections with Rovers. Podcast Network. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. As a major research institution, Arizona State University offers the most online bachelor's degree programs, along with world-class faculty and dedicated support. Discover why ASU is ranked number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Tap to learn more. It's the 90th minute. Oh, you mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.